Welcome to Practical Theology, a podcast series by Battle Creek Friends Church. Our hope is that by listening, you feel equipped in your faith to speak out in confidence about what you believe and live it out. We're here to help you seek the Lord throughout your day. So here's your host, Bible teacher, father, husband, and guy who likes cookies, Leo Wilson. Hello and welcome to episode nine of Practical Theology. Today we continue our conversation on God's view of race, culture, and slavery. Now, when we started last week, we talked about this battle, this unwinning, unending battle of emotion versus reason. And it's something to keep in mind for today because a lot of the things I'll say today are possibly going to be people just thinking that they can't be right. Like you must be missing the point. We'll stay scripture focused just so I don't have to be off point, but I can look and see what God is saying to point. And then we'll try to process this. But really what the big focus of today is, is what lies behind racism? And I'll give you a spoiler alert. It, it, what I'm going to go after is this idea of favoritism over racism. I think we have a problem more with favoritism over racism in culture. So to start with, let's look at Ephesians 6, 9, because it overlaps both slavery and talking about favoritism. Ephesians 6, 9 says this, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, that's that's a pretty strong statement. The idea that you're supposed to treat your slaves equally, and we talked about this last week, and if you didn't listen to last week's episode, go back and do so before you listen to this one, because I don't want to redefine slavery, but the Bible defines a word that is not slavery, but we use the word slavery for the translation. The best understanding of this word would be an indentured servant through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, there are times they're referring to Roman slavery, which is different than what God established in the Old Testament for how to treat servants, how to be an indentured servant, how the relationship would go between a master and the slave or master and indentured servant. But for today, if you didn't listen to that, you definitely got to listen to it. In this verse, the idea of the slave or the indentured servant or whatever relationship it would be, you're not supposed to treat them unfairly. You're not supposed to threaten them. They're still people of the human race, the topic that was emphasized last week. But even more so, it talks about there is no favoritism with him, capital H, meaning God. So with that, how far does this go, right? We see this again in Galatians 2.6 concerning favoritism. As for those who are, were held in high esteem, Whatever they were makes no difference to me, and God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Paul here talking about people who were more elite, saying that doesn't exempt them from anything. They're not better than anybody else. We are still all one in Christ Jesus. We are still all humans. So this idea that we have hierarchies of people, that some people are greater than others, that's not true. Are people different than others? Yes. Uh, in culture, absolutely. In, in what we know in physical stature, absolutely. People are different, but none of them are less significant um, than any other person. And if you want to say, well, wait a minute, like there are differences, like one person can lift more than another person. Yes, some people might be stronger, but is that all that establishes significance? Is some one qualification? This is, this is not true. As a matter of fact, biblical passages such as ones that talk about the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. The foot cannot say to the body, I don't need you. These are things that we misunderstand. We look at ourselves higher than we ought to. Anyway, to continue on with this idea of favoritism, um, we're going to use that as the lens to view this. And we're going to talk about different concepts. 
Some people might even say, well, wait a minute. God shows favoritism in one sense. We're going to have to talk about this. One, Scripture says he doesn't show favoritism. So we have to look at what God does do and say, hey, look, this isn't favoritism, and here's how it's different. For one example, some people might throw out there like, well, God clearly showed favoritism to the Israelites over anybody in the foreign culture. Well, that's not fair to say either. Um, although he chose to act through one nation because of Abraham showing his uh, allegiance to God, showing how much he loved God, that he was willing to listen to God, even to sacrifice his son, that doesn't mean that God showed him favoritism. It might have just showed him what was due. For example, um, if you had a bunch of students and three showed up for class that day and you chose to take them on a field trip to Cedar Point or amusement park, are you showing favoritism to those three? No. Anybody who would have came that day could have went there. But they were the three that were there. Does God show favoritism? Like Christ, when he takes the three up to the Mount of Transfiguration instead of all 12 of his disciples, is he showing favoritism? What prompted that? Maybe they were the only three present at the time. Maybe they were the only three that would have appreciated it or that should have seen it because they could handle it where maybe the other ones couldn't have handled it as well. Whatever his reasoning is, there are multiple examples where we could easily look at those and say, well, God is showing favoritism to people. But we have to understand favoritism isn't about having favorites or picking or selecting people. It's about showing an unjust favor to someone over someone else just because you like them. There's no justice involved. There's no uh, practical application involved. It's just you're choosing to show them favor for status or some other reason. And that would be what was wrong. And to sit there and say that, well, somebody's present, look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that all who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Would we dare charge God with favoritism in that where it's like, oh, you're going to pick some people to go to heaven and not others? No, actually, you're the one that's picking it. Either you've prepared yourself or you've chosen to have a relation with God. Therefore, you have the opportunity, only provided by grace, by the way. You don't earn it. He gives you the opportunity, but you've taken the opportunity. Therefore, you can be saved. That's significant. So the same thing happens in other ways. Abraham showed that he was worthy in that sense, where he was willing to listen to God, and God said, I can do something with this. I think this is the same way with anybody. Uh, even people who get to go to different schools and enroll, it's like, hey, you are showing the aptitude, desire to do this. You will give you this opportunity. That's great. Anybody who has that aptitude could get that opportunity. That would be fair. It doesn't mean that you're showing favoritism to them. Favoritism is an unjust way of doing something. So God isn't like Hitler. He's, not trying, he's also not trying to create the Aryan race through the Hebrew people. He's trying to show who he is through a culture of people, the way they act, what they do, following him. And that brings glory and honor to him when they do so appropriately. When they don't, they get punished. The people who would be supposed favors are the ones who lose their nation who are the ones that see people like, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts, like Nebuchadnezzar, you know, come in and enslave them, right? Bring them to his country. And the word slave there, if you see how Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were treated, as well as Daniel, you can see that that's not the antebellum South U.S. history form of slavery. Well, anyway, we can just see how just because you pick people for certain scenarios doesn't mean you're showing favoritism. It's about why you're doing it. It's about the the reasons that you have behind it. Are there good reasons? Are they just reasons? Or are they just because you favor them? Okay, so 
when we start to whittle this down, we, we want to always have an accurate description of God, right? We, this, is, this is important. If you get the right name of God, but you have the wrong attributes of God, then you're not worshiping the right God. And that also allows people not to see the true God through you. So this is why we went through all the effort last week of defining slavery biblically and what it meant to be an indentured servant. Because whenever somebody sees God and they hear, God allowed slavery, I can't, I can't worship a God who does that. Well, if your view of slavery was the antebellum South, I can understand the difficulty. But biblically, that's not the proper view of the word slavery, nor is it the proper meaning that God had for that word when it was translated to English, right? So why is it so important to clarify these? Because I think it brings honor to God. I don't ever want to have anybody say, I can't believe God allowed that kind of slavery. He didn't. He allowed an unbelievably cool form of welfare, one that was totally different than any of the surrounding nations. And that should bring glory to him. It should show how concerned he was for people, the means that he has for them, how people could help provide for other people. These are all significant, and they bring glory to God. Well, let's look at something else that happened back in Genesis. So we want to talk about culture. I think sometimes we get struggle with the idea of culture being a problem and the idea of race. And during Genesis 9-1, when... God blessed Noah and his sons. He said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. This was right after the flood. So their commission was be fruitful and fill the earth. But this doesn't happen. Um, The people start to conglomerate at one point uh, and they start this building and um, it's called the Tower of Babel as a story. It looked like a, a ziggurat where it's like a rectangle on top of another rectangle kind of just tapering as it gets to a point and they were gonna build this one up into the heaven. Like they were thinking they were going to build it, but God had an issue with it. One, they were supposed to spread out. They were supposed to populate the earth. They weren't doing that. So God addresses them. And it says here in Genesis eleven eight through 9, this is what he does. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused their language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Deuteronomy 32.8 says this, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of Israel. This idea that God is creating different cultures, setting them apart in different languages. Now, some people say that's not the right understanding of it. Fair enough, there are some commentators who say that. But I think it's important to at least see there was division there. God divided people up. For this, so that they would go amongst their kind. Now, I don't say that he's causing this, but isn't this what we tend to do as people? We are comfortable around people who are like us, who talk like us, who think like us. Absolutely, we would be comfortable. And God here shows that makes sense. Clearly, you'd be more comfortable. The difference there that we start to split off, and if you hear it, you're like, I don't like the way that sounds, Leo. I understand because I can hear that in the background there are people who might say this. It's like, well, you're saying if people are different, that's wrong. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying where we're more comfortable. In the end, when it becomes a problem is when, when somebody's not like us, if we treat them poorly. And then that goes back to the passages I read at the beginning of this podcast, where it's like, hey, you shouldn't be showing favoritism or treating them bad. That would be wrong. So we want to start to see that. I think God's perfectly fine. Not only that, I think he started culture. I think he started these different languages. And we had this 
things so that we would spread out, and that's okay. I also like with the idea of splitting out into different cultures in Acts 2, 5, and 8. Listen to what this says. Now there were, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? This is talking about the event of Pentecost. And I just think it's really interesting that we see that all of these people are united in God, but they're all from different cultures. And then they hear all these different native tongues. And I just like how it comes back to Jerusalem and you see all these different cultures. Now, some say they're dispersia, dispersion Jews, that Jews that were cast out a long time ago or they were forced out and are finally returning to their homeland and they have a different culture. But that even adds to my point. The idea that you can have different cultures get along just fine, especially when we have Christ to focus on and God to focus on. I think that's super significant because when you see him, you see all this commonality that we are one human race, for example, like we talked about last week. And I think the idea just picks up. Uh, I also like Galatians, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I, you get this concept here that God's like, hey, I, I get the categories you guys are going to have. You guys are going to have this ethnic category, Jew or Gentile. You guys are going to have this elitist category. I'm slave. I'm free. I'm great businessman. I'm, a, I'm just a worker. And you're going to have this sex category, male or female, gender. You're going to be like, oh, one's lesser than the other. He sees all of these. And he's like, hey, look, one, I know where you're going to go with this. Your, your ethnic group, this and this, none of you are any better. All are one in my view, especially in his church, right? Like we should never be doing that. I understand in our secular world, people do that. It doesn't make it right. But here God is saying, no favoritism. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Love one another accordingly. Well, that brings us to the to the to some of the more dicey things that I want to talk about. For example, this idea of favoritism, God here, when he talks about this in Galatians 3.28, I mentioned ethnic group, I mentioned status, and I mentioned male and female. Why is it that we are so focused on color? Why is it that we are so focused on color rather than all sorts of different facts that people show favoritism towards? goodness. I can think of the idea of welfare. I can think of the idea of poverty. Why are we showing just favoritism when we talk about this inequality of race? Why is it that that causes more rioting than the idea of oppressing people that are poor? I don't understand this, but I, I definitely see it in culture, especially in the U.S. I've even heard people talk about how if you walk into a church and you see that the majority of the congregation is white, that clearly there's a problem with race there. Like it should be, you should see a, a cultural blending. Well, hold on a second. That doesn't seem quite fair. It shows like you're showing favoritism to the idea of color over other ways of seeing diversity. For example, I can just think of the church that I attend. I have single parent homes, divorced homes, homes with people who are alcoholics and drug users, homes of people who are doctors and lawyers. I know of people who are from homes where they are adopted. And I see people who live in more of an urban area versus a rural area, people who have occupations 
that include farmers, I already mentioned doctors, I see a lot of diversity. Why aren't, why aren't we praising that diversity? Why are we focused on the one aspect of diversity that is just most visually apparent? Is it just because it's easier? That's, that's something that we do. I mean, we sometimes measure success of church by numbers, by the number of attendance, even though it doesn't talk about spiritual health. Why? Because it's easy to do. So does that make a church unhealthy? I, I even go back to that Tower of Babel example with God splitting up cultures, and I'm like, man, I'm like, I can see why. Uh, one time I, I was talking to a pastor at a black church that was dominantly a black church, and he was like, hey, can you come and teach kids? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, just do me a favor. Just don't talk about slavery. And I'm like, he, he had a view of slavery that wasn't the biblical view of slavery because he knew the word, just like we talked about last week. And I was really sad by that, but I understood something when he was sharing it with me. What he was trying to say is certain certain viewpoints, certain ethnic viewpoints, really draw towards certain concepts easier. And then, therefore, it's like, well, this is the pe- kind of people that I want to worship with or I want to congregate with. It, it also struggles. I have struggles with seeing also like inner city churches or churches that um, are really wealthy churches. And if I walk in, everything is pristine. And, and it strikes me as like, oh, that's so sad. Like, I don't see people of a different cultural point from the idea of poverty or the thing. And I wonder if it's because they feel uncomfortable there or maybe they're made to feel uncomfortable there. And right there, right there is the difference between the idea of favoritism and like showing common culture and ethnicity. See, if you have a group of people that are, have common beliefs and systems, that's not wrong. Even though people might tell you it's wrong if you just have the same people around you all the time, it may not be the most beneficial, but it's not wrong. What really is wrong is if you have, let's just go with the race thing, a a church of majority white people or majority black people, and somebody of a different color walks in that door and they're rejected. They're not showed any favor. They're actually showed disfavor because of color. That would be wrong. But just because a congregation is dominantly something doesn't make it wrong, right? It's the way they treat others that wouldn't be of their culture that would determine that. This is what the Ephesians verse said earlier. This is what we talked about last week with God viewing people coming in from foreign lands that were slaves escaping. The way you would treat them would be wrong. You know, it could be wrong if you, if you cast them out, if you were rude to them, if you treated them lesser, oh, that's not good. God has multiple times in the passages I've read talked about how we are not to look down on people because they are different. We should welcome them. But it's understandable from the idea that I pointed out earlier from all these scripture passages in the Old Testament where you can see that God creates nations and he creates these things where people are going to have like values and things. Now, all of them should be underneath of God's principles, but just like cultures can have different types of food, different types of hobbies, different types of sports. That's perfectly fine. And I actually think kind of cool. I like eating different foods from different restaurants and different ethnicities. I like Indian food. I like American food. I like pizza. I like cookies from different cultures. That's perfectly fine. And I would be, I would really miss it if we were told everybody's got to be the same. You can't have differences in culture. We need to be really careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on that where we're talking about this whole idea of you have to be different, you have to be totally tolerant and accepting of everything. One, there's a whole difference between tolerance and acceptance, and I won't get into that today, but we do want to emphasize the idea that having differences in culture isn't wrong. 
And just because I don't like some the aspects of different cultures doesn't make it wrong. It's whether or not I treat them badly, whether or not I show favoritism against or for them because of those differences. That's what would be wrong. We get into this idea of wrong, right, showing favoritism, and one thing is sitting behind it, and it's the idea of being just. And it's another aspect that we need to think about. One of uh, the authors that I've stumbled upon lately is Thomas Sowell, and he's got a book called The Search for Cosmic Justice. And, uh, and by the way, a lot of these concepts and these conversations have come from books like Paul, like Paul Copan called Is God a Moral Monster? Uh, Norman Geisler has a systematic theology section on racism. And so I've used all of these guys as I've been researching this topic. But Thomas Sowell gives a great example. And he's really talking about how social justice has just been misused so much for people. And one example he gives with the idea of balancing favoritism and justice is this idea that there was a town in San Francisco and there was a pizza place and they didn't want to deliver pizzas this town. It was, it was a higher crime area. Uh, it turned out to be higher percentage of black people living there. And the pizza companies like we're not sending our employees there And people screamed. They were like, that is not fair. You are showing favoritism to people. You are not allowing us to come here. That is not right. That is racist. And he says, I'm not being racist about it at all. It's just not fair. And they're like, what do you mean it's not fair? It's not fair that you're not willing to deliver pizzas to us. He said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fairness to the pizza delivery man. Why is it fair that I send him into a higher crime area, one that's known, for example, for more murders or whatever else, and tell him he has to risk his life in this area and, and versus going to a safer area? Why can I not pick and be fair to him to try to preserve his life? And why doesn't he have the right? Why does he have to sit there and say, well, you know what? I'm going to endanger my life. Soldiers do that, and they choose to do that, and that's, that's great. And I am blessed to have the freedoms I have because of the people who have fought for him. But when a pizza man signs up for pizza, I don't think he thinks about endangering his life. I think he's expecting to drive and deliver pizzas to people and feed them. So the idea of fairness there is really interesting, isn't it? It's like, well, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. But we can't sit there and say it's not fair because we're looking at it from two different perspectives. We're showing favoritism. We're saying, well, hey, in this group of people, it's not fair to them. So we're going to show favoritism. You've got to deliver. But when you do that, you're actually being unjust and unfair to the pizza delivery guy saying, you've got to endanger your life anyway. You see how that works? So I think underlying a lot of this stuff is the problem of favoritism. We look at people hierarchically. We see people in different, in different structures and different systems, and we either look up or down on them. We think they're more valuable or less valuable. This includes politicians, um, educa- I mean, anybody. I, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, even though you may be different, even though you bring different skill sets, it doesn't make you better than everybody else. It does, And specifically, it doesn't mean you can look down on other people. You should not look at yourself higher than you ought is a biblical concept. It is a verse right out of scripture. We should not do that. And we need to be cautious because then that slowly feeds into the idea of racism and unfairness and inequality. And then we start to sin against people. I hope this was all helpful. I hope that during these last two, if there was emotions involved, you know I'm not trying to win a battle here. I'm trying to represent God. I'm trying to show people that wherever people are at, there's a lot of emotions involved with this idea of racism. But we really need to be careful. 
of being fair and looking towards scripture. Even the idea, the, the last point I'll, top it, I'll comment on is I saw so many people this year justifying violence and riots because they saw racial oppression. And I tried talking to various people about this and there was so much emotion that there was just, it was the unending, unwinning battle. And taking a deep breath, I'm like, okay, I just have to step aside because they're just not going to want to listen, you know. But people saw that and said it was totally okay for people to destroy people, for people to destroy people's property, to destroy companies, to, de- to destroy life, to take life, all because they felt as though they were oppressed or treated unfairly. And it's interesting that because one man is treated unfairly, all of a sudden we apply it to everybody of that color, for example, or of that stature. If one poor man is treated unfairly, then all of them are. And we take one instance and we do that. Well, it's just not the case. It doesn't make it okay. Scripture says it's not okay. Um, Martin Luther King even said, even though he thought that riots were the voice of people, he never said it was right. He was one of those people who protested nonviolently. Right, he he did a lot of things that were trying to show that it was wrong without taking life, without destroying people's property, in a godly way, and I think this is important when we look at any of this stuff. We can't just justify things based on the fact that we're not happy. We have to look towards Scripture to see how to handle situations. And just because somebody's been wronged doesn't mean you get to take something from somebody else just unwillingly. Like you need to look towards God in that. Right? There has to be a just sense, and it's his justice that needs to be, to be taken into account every time. Well, with this, I guess I would conclude with this. I always end with, like, go and live it out. And I would just want to emphasize this point. I think it's super hard to live it out without looking towards Scripture. So many people take this idea of slavery And it just has a sour taste all the time because of what our history has done with it. I hope if ever in the Christian worldview, you talk about slavery and you talk about God, that you always articulate this one difference. And that is that God's was a welfare system and that it wasn't showing favoritism to anybody. It was actually to try to show favor towards everybody so that each other would help each other to come out of the situations that were oppressing them, to bring them closer towards God, to see more of God's light. So with that, I will ask you, please go and live it out.